All right, so I think I finally figured it out, Devin, uh, why the queers for Palestine prefer the Palestinian side of the equation between and the war between Israel and Hamas. I have cracked the code. Yeah, here it is, because because it otherwise would make no sense, right? I mean, okay, yeah, you're you're nodding your head. It makes no sense. Why would they do that, right? Here's the reason why. I think that they just like the color scheme and design of the Palestinian flag. There you go. All right, <laughs> the mystery is solved. Yes, that yeah, the Israeli flag. What is it? It's it's blue and it's a nice design, but it's just blue and white. It's very you know, unimaginative, you know, not, not too many colors. So that's, that's important. Uh, you got you gotta always think about these things. So uh, I'm, I'm figuring it out for you. All right. Uh, now new story just came out. Uh, three soldiers tragically were killed uh, in the Middle East uh, by, uh, Houthi fighters. And, uh, the, these are the first who have been killed in this conflict. The Americans who have been killed in the conflict, there have been, of course, uh, you know, horrific number of Israelis who have been killed. But uh, in terms of the American soldiers killed, this is the first time. Uh, just happened uh, now as we speak in late January of 2024. The question is, what will happen? Will uh, Biden do anything to uh, escalate the response? I, I certainly doubt that. Uh, he is not interested in escalating. So this this is the concept uh, that they preach. Now, what's so ironic about this is that the less you decide to get engaged, the more of a fight you actually end up having to deal with. Uh, this is tragic, but that's the, the reality of human nature. Uh, we know that from Hitler. We didn't engage with Hitler. And of course, what happened was he just got stronger and stronger. Bad things happened. Uh, and then, of course, uh, how many people, 100 million people died as a result of World War II? Um, far worse than even World War I. So in their effort to avoid World, One, World War I, they got World War II. Irony, yes. Uh, same thing here. Now, if you do not engage the enemy, in this case, the Houthis, uh, the Iranians, uh, the, the Hamas for that matter, then you're, you're only going to get more of it. They will take it as a sign of weakness or worse yet, a sign of acceptance that somehow their strength is legitimate. This is what happened with ISIS. We didn't respond uh, when Obama was president during uh, his two terms. And sure enough, we got this uh, caliphate that they tried to create that uh, spread through Syria and Iraq. Horrific things happened. Uh, then Trump became president and within six months was able to destroy them. That's what you have to do. You have to engage the enemy. You have to knock down evil whenever you see it. And that is the reality of human nature and reality with geopolitics. The good news is that is the answer. We know the answer. You have to fight. You, you don't have to like it. Uh, there may be casualties, but in your effort to not escalate and broaden this Middle East war between the Israelis and Hamas, you're going to get more of an escalation of the Middle East war. That's the way it works. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not my choice, my friends, but that's just the way it works. To not fight evil is a form of madness. It's a, uh, a what is it, a dereliction of duty that we all have as uh, human citizens of the planet. We, we must fight evil. And if you don't fight evil, you are not loving God the way that you need to. Let's play this clip from this person who is clearly 
a nut job, but he's one of these queers for Palestine. And he tries to make the argument that somehow uh, Israel is pinkwashing when it comes to uh, dealing with the LGBTQ. What is pinkwashing? The idea that somehow uh, they are advocating for gay rights and therefore uh, they don't have to be looked at with a more cynical eye. They're the good guys. And this guy uh, who understands the argument uh, surprisingly doesn't get it anyway. So uh, to look at this guy... Uh, his name is uh, Matt Bernstein. He apparently, I mean, he, he, he's all made up. Literally, he's got makeup on. I don't know that he identifies as a woman. I, frankly, I don't care. But he's got makeup on, lipstick on. He's got long fingernails. Uh, he, he's one of those guys, okay? So take a listen to what he has to say about the whole conflict, right? Uh, it, it's, it's interesting the way he tries to resolve this. Check it out. The official Twitter account for the state of Israel, at Israel, posted two photos earlier this week with the caption, the first ever pride flag raised in Gaza. And I'm going to describe to you the two photos. So the first one is an IDF soldier. IDF is the Israeli Defense Force. It's the Israeli military. It's a male white IDF soldier standing in front of this huge tank and holding what is both an Israeli flag and a pride flag. And then the other photo is this same soldier standing in what is presumably Gazan rubble after an airstrike that Israel administered onto Gaza, holding a rainbow pride flag that is written on in black marker and says, in the name of love. These two images circulated the internet really quickly with an intense response. The kind of Zionist social media activist Eve Barlow posted them on her Instagram with the caption, for the first time in history, pride flags flew in Gaza today. The IDF is bringing democracy to the Palestinian people. My condolences to all the queers for free Palestine you're losing. Over the last month, like so many people, I've had a lot of really strong emotions about everything that's happening. In yeah, well, okay, I, I don't blame you for have, having strong emotions. Perhaps one of those emotions is, man, was I stupid. How about that for an emotion? Uh, th there's no sense in what he's saying, right? He, he's trying to reconcile what he's seeing in terms of Israel's freedom and democracy and its appreciation for all walks of life in society, including gays and trans uh, people. Uh, and, and he knows that it's not working out too well in the Arab world, but yet he still has to uh, somehow put a, you know, square this round hole. Um, and I don't think he can do it, but he's talking about all these emotions. Let's continue on. In Gaza, and the emotional reaction that these images of an IDF soldier holding a pride flag over rubble in a recently bombed Gaza really just brought something out of me that I did not recognize in myself. Namely, confusion. You know, I'm thinking, how, how can you bring pride to a place by decimating it? How... How can Palestinians have democracy, according to Eve Barlow, if, if they're dead? And okay, so lost in all this, of course, is the fact that this is a response to the Hamas attacks. He, he won't, I, I've listened to the uh, much larger uh, YouTube video here. 
And he doesn't, of course, address the Hamas attacks, which prompted this, this response, which is, I think, is a very legitimate response. In fact, uh, it's a very constrained response, and I wish it were less constrained, but nevertheless, uh, there you go. And then he's talking about rubble and everything else. But P.S., it wasn't so nice to begin with. <laughs> it reminds me of this movie that was, I forget what it was called. It was with uh, Bette Midler and uh, Shelley Long. And they, they, <laughs> they were running away from some bad guys who mistakenly thought that they had some information. And uh, so they, they figure out they better run to the Bette Midler character's apartment and, uh, before they get to it. And, and they open the door and the sofas are turned upside down. There's a, a huge mess. Drawers are all over the place. Clothes are all over the place. And the Shelley Long character, who's kind of, you know, very organized type, says, oh, my God, they, they, they've been here. And then the Bette Midler character says, no, no, that's, that's the way it usually is. So <laughs> I always love that. And that's what it reminds me of in, in Gaza. You know, they, they have all this rubble and everything. Like, I don't know that that, that, that was much different than what it was before uh, Israel's bombing. They, they, they certainly don't take care of their own very much. The infrastructure is pretty bad. All right, uh, let's continue on because this, this idiot uh, simply, you know, this is, this is uh, symbolic of how the left and many of the progressives they, they can't square the reality of Israel's goodness and morality. They can't square the fact that uh, Israel is such a diverse community with many different opinions, how, how many people prefer to be in Israel, how many Arabs prefer to be in Israel. They're far freer there. They're much more opportunity. Women are much more free. Gays are much more free. Uh, and uh, they, they have to make an argument somehow that you know, in order to justify their, their position against Israel, notwithstanding that the fact that, that gays are killed, that are thrown off buildings. I mean, the old joke is, you know, no, you know, gays are not thrown off tall buildings in Gaza because there are no more buildings uh, from which to throw them, right? So they, they think that there's an explanation to all this. They think it, they call it pinkwashing. And the idea is that, you know, by holding up their uh, somewhat progressive policies, in fact, very progressive policies, maybe too progressive when it comes to gay and trans people, uh, that they are ignoring uh, all the victims uh, in every other respect uh, of Israeli society. Well, the problem for them in that regard is that they can't show any victims of, 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 uh, in Israeli society of any other kinds of people, including the Arabs. The Arabs are doing very well, like I mentioned. They, they belong to the Supreme Court. They're doctors. They're lawyers. They're very successful. Uh, they, they're in advertising positions. They, they fight in the army. They're proud to fight in the army. Uh, they're, they're proud to be Israelis. So they don't want to leave. So Again, more round pegs in a square hole that they just can't seem to fit. All right, so uh, in addition to the three soldiers killed that we just talked about, here's another disturbing story from the uh, UNRWA, uh, United Nations Relief uh, Worker Assistance, uh, Welfare Assistance, I think. Uh, the UN agency has discovered that many of the staff of that organization had joined the attacks of October 7, contributing to the uh, assistance of the Hamas killing and raping and murdering and beheading and such. It's, it's not quite the mission statement of the United Nations. Let's put it, it's inconsistent with that mission statement. How about that? So he, here's a video from uh, one of the heads of the UN talking exactly about what they're going to do. Basically a spokesperson. Here you go. Uh, yeah, do we have the clip? Go ahead lives depend on. The Secretary General has been briefed uh, by the Commissioner General of UNRWA, Philippe uh, Lazzarini, regarding extremely serious allegations which implicate several 
UNRWA staff members in the terror attacks of October 7th in Israel. The Secretary General is horrified by this news. Yeah, he, he's horrified by the news. Secretary General uh, has made very clear that he supports Hamas. So he's, I think he's only horrified, yes, uh, by the fact that he now has to deal with this. He'd rather not. Uh, and, and more to the effect of, hey, guys, how come you just weren't a little bit more discreet about this stuff? I told you to be cool about this. Uh, I, I have no doubt that he is actually very proud of the fact that they supported Hamas and did the, the terrible things that uh, Hamas did and helped them along. But let's continue and ask Mr. Lazzarini to investigate this matter swiftly and to ensure that any UNRWA employee shown to have participated or abetted in what transpired on October 7th or in any other criminal activity be terminated immediately and referred for potential criminal prosecution. All right. And what, what are the chances that uh, there will be, uh, after the termination, that they will be rehired in some form or another? Uh, what are the chances that they will actually uh, face criminal prosecution? The, the answer is zero. Absolutely zero. You will not, there, this is the end of the story. You will not hear anything about these UNRWA uh, employees, the, st- the staff actually being arrested, actually being prosecuted uh, to the extent, you know, God willing that somehow they would be arrested and prosecuted. Uh, it would be, uh, they would be told, you know, don't do that again. That's about it. All right. I don't expect any greatness out of this. <sighs> well, look, bad things are happening in terms of uh, Europe. Uh, there is a tremendous amount of Islamic influence at this point, and Europe is getting sick and tired of it. And there's not a single country now in Europe that you can point to where they are saying, you know what, this immigration from uh, Muslim countries, is it's really fantastic. We are so happy that it's happening uh, and, and we wish it to continue to happen. Not one country is saying that now. They, they've gotten to the point, a breaking point, where they are now not only against the massive influx of free immigration from these countries that hate them, but they're electing leaders that are subscribing to that same position. They, they, they don't want the immigration to be free-flowing anymore. They want it to be much more restrictive. And in many cases, they want to deport uh, many of these immigrants who at least have engaged in criminal behavior in their host countries in Europe. This includes uh, the Netherlands, the UK, France, Germany. You wouldn't expect that from Germany. Um, Sweden, uh, I, I think, uh, or Denmark as well. Uh, Hungary, uh, Poland. They're, all these countries are now going up to the podium with leaders saying, this dog don't hunt anymore. We're, we're not accepting this anymore. Let's take a listen to what uh, Heert Wilders from uh, the Netherlands, who was recently elected uh, as prime minister, uh, he's making very clear. Now I'll, I'll have to translate from the subtitles uh, from his speech. That Islam a geweldige ideology is, die haat en terreur met zich meebrengt, en dus niet bij Nederland we have to close our borders immediately and we must reject the open borders treaty and reintroduce border checks. Three, start dismantling institutions of Islam, such as mosques, and beginning with those mosques that receive foreign funding. He gives the example of Dianet, a Turkish ministry. 
Four, lock up everybody who threatens us with violence or uses violence and deportment them. And those who are thousands of sympathizers, they need to be locked up as well. And five, ask all the schools, newspapers, media to show a Muhammad cartoon and not be upset about it. Not to provoke, but to show that we are able to have freedom. To wrap up, I have a message for all Muslims in the Netherlands who do not respect our freedom, our democracy, and our core values, who find the rules of the Quran more important than our secular laws. There are many of those. Research shows that 700,000 of them are like that. And my message to them is, get out, leave for another country. Then you can enjoy your Islamic rules. They are their rules, but not ours. This is our country, not your country, but our country. This is the Netherlands. Now, this is very interesting because this was actually a, a formal speech in the parliament uh, in the Netherlands as a prime minister. This was not a hot mic situation, anything like that. Uh, he was, this is not from years and years ago. Um, and, and here he is speaking in English. So, uh, so you can see exactly what he's talking about. Uh, and he's speaking to the international community we, we, that we have a serious issue. Uh, let's play that if we have it. Yeah, you got it? Islam and freedom, Islam and democracy are incompatible indeed Without saying that all Muslims are bad people, we would want to stop the immigration and the import of more people from Islamic countries. We would do that the same day. People um, are wakening up. This patriotic revolution where people want to find their own identity and are not racist at all, but, but want, to, want to fight for the preservation of their own people, their own country, their own values, their own money, their own board. You are no Europeans and you will never be. An Islamic state like Turkey does not belong to Europe. All the values Europe stands for, freedom, democracy, human rights, are incompatible with Islam. Yeah, so that's the main issue. Uh, look, I mean, this, this is historical, right? This is not a new thing. I mean, Islam and Christianity have been at odds with one another for literally uh, 1,500 plus years since the birth of Islam back in that, what is it, the six, 600s, I believe. Uh, so that, that's not, you could say that that's not a right thing, that the conflict is not a legitimate conflict or whatever. I, I get that. But the reality is that there's a clash going on and things are happening in Europe that the Europeans are simply not accepting anymore. Uh, they don't like these no-go zones uh, where there's uh, rampant crime, where there's uh, massive rapes going on. Sweden has been considered the rape capital of the world at this point behind uh, Lesotho, I think it is, in Africa. It's weird uh, that, that it's, it's taken this long to recognize the, the difficulties. And what Heert Wilders is saying is not so much that, hey, you know, we're white and you're not and uh, we're racist. And he made it very clear that's not about racism. He, he made it clear it's about values. And they don't seem to like democracy. They don't seem to like freedom of speech. Uh, and, and when it comes to uh, publishing cartoons uh, of Muhammad, for example, uh, they get riled up and they kill people. And, and that simply is incompatible. And that's the word that he's using. It's also the recently uh, appointed or elected conservative leader, Giorgia Maloney in Italy, uh, who talks about incompatibility. Now, this is a video that resurfaced, but it's consistent with what she believes, and it's consistent with what uh, Hirt 
Wilders also just recently say, there's a unity of commentary and voice now when it comes to these European leaders. And it's a very interesting topic to, to explore. I believe there is a compatibility issue between Islamic culture and us and the rights and values of our civilization. That's a big deal. That's a very big deal. She is now on the stump saying we've got to deal with this massive Islamic uh, influx. And he talk, she talks about how Italy, of course, geographically, it's in the front line of this massive invasion. It's the, it's the first and easiest country to land in when it comes to Europe uh, because they're situated with the boot there in, in the middle of Italy. Uh, in terms of its peninsula status, that's part of the reason why Rome was able to become Rome. Uh, it was able to project itself. But now it's also now uh, geographically very vulnerable. And so you have a lot of uh, these immigrants coming in t- through Italy. Uh, she is actually engaging in a program by which they, they push people into Albania and they will consider their asylum applicants while they are in Albania. I guess they took a page from Trump's stay in Mexico policy, which I thought was very bright. She's doing the same thing here. So, uh, but it's it's not just her either. It's also France. Even Macron is considering a, a big issues here. Sweden is considering the same thing. The, U, the UK, uh, every single country, even Germany, is now dealing with this and saying we cannot have the same loose uh, loose restrictions that we had before when it comes to border control and immigration. Take a listen also to this Danish uh, uh, member of parliament uh, who's conservative and CNN is trying to grill him, but they're, they're unable to do so. Take a listen. Well, the Danish People's Party are in favor of a Australian model. That is a model that says that people who come to Denmark shall not uh, be permitted to stay in Denmark indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And second of all, we would like to say to these people who are coming to Denmark that they should not calculate on staying in Denmark at all. We would like to refer these people to countries in the uh, uh, vicinity of the country where they fled. Yeah, so that's a good point, And I'm going to continue this. Uh, he's saying, look, you, you want to leave your country, that, that's fine. I, we understand it. But, but that doesn't mean that we have to take you. Uh, you might want to consider a country that's nearby, right? If, if the horrific things were happening in America, for example, I would expect people to, to go to Canada or maybe to Mexico. But, but to expect them to now ship off to Australia or New Zealand, that, that, that wouldn't be sensible. Uh, but that's what this guy is saying. And, and it's not a bad thing because they want to live under Islamic rule under Sharia law, okay, fine. There are plenty of countries in the Middle East that that um, would be happy to absorb them under Sharia law and uh, that are not as violent as the countries that they are fleeing from. So let's continue. Uh, we're not interested in getting a whole lot of people who we're supposed to integrate, but we know as a fact that it is impossible to integrate these people. Why is it impossible? I'm, I'm just curious why you think it's impossible to integrate asylum seekers. What is it about them that makes it impossible for them to fit in? And- so this is interesting because you can see that the uh, CNN anchor here, uh, she's uh, pretty indignant about uh, his position, doesn't like his position, wants him to uh, be challenged on this in this regard. So, uh, but, but look how he keeps his cool and answers the question why they do not fit in. In Denmark. Well, Denmark has taken a lot of asylum seekers since 1983. So has a lot of other Western European countries. And we see the same problems all over Western Europe. The immigrants which have come and their uh, second generation are more crime prone 
than uh, inhabitants in general are in Denmark. They have a lower frequency of uh, 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 working than uh, Danish people have. And we have a rising Isla uh, Islamic problem in Denmark. We have a number of Islamic uh, parties, uh, Hizbut Tahrir, Salafists and so on, who are uh, making it very problematic to integrate uh, people in this country. But your country... Yeah, so I, mean, I, thought, I thought he explained himself pretty well. And she, I could play her commentary as well, but it's, it's too long. But she tries to backpedal on that and she just can't. Uh, he, he explained it very well. Look, uh, unfortunately, uh, there is much more crime as a result of this influx of people. They, they are alienating themselves. They live in no-go zones. Um, the, uh, the regular uh, Danes in Denmark uh, are feeling threatened and, and far less safe. Uh, they are actually victims of crime much more. Uh, th that's a legitimate concern. Right. I mean, it, it, you can't just say, well, we're going to absorb all these immigrants and you're just going to have to take it. And your whole life is going to be different. You're not allowed to live in your towns. You're supposed to live in fear from now on. Why would a, a country uh, allow that and not expect that the uh, regular citizens there, the, the native born citizens there would be upset? Um, it, look, and, and no one's saying that there's any issue with absorbing people of different countries. Uh, God knows America does that. America, uh, Israel does that. It absorbs so many different people. It's not about their skin color or their culture. Uh, it is about their respect for the host country's laws and, and the, the respect for the culture of the host country. And if you can't respect the culture and the laws of the host country, uh, and, and indeed, if you are attacking it and seeking to destroy it all the time and committing crimes uh, in violation of, of all the, the laws and otherwise uh, terrorizing people because they do not conform to your vision of Sharia law, uh, then, then it's not appropriate. Okay, I, I think it's very fair. They, but they always try to make it about racism because uh, everything is about race, everything. It's, it's every, you know, you, you had a, a toe fungus the other day that was because of, you know, racism. Th this is the way that they think. This is their animus. This is what makes them get out of bed every morning. Uh, they, they have a mission. Okay, everything's a mission with these people um, because they don't have anything to better to do. They, they have to be angry all the time. Um, and so this was the, the fear. I, I, think it, I think Europe has learned the hard way that this uh, Islamic, this, this very liberal, open policy toward allowing immigration, regardless of where the, where the people are coming from, regardless of the backgrounds of the people that are coming in. Uh, these, a lot of them are young males who are coming in as, as singles. Uh, it's, it's not a good sign. It's just very dangerous. And then when you have Sweden out to become the rape capital, like I said, among many other kinds of crimes, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a sign that you maybe have a policy that doesn't work. And it's uniform. Across Europe right now, everyone is beginning to say, we cannot continue this way. Uh, we will be completely consumed by Sharia law eventually if we don't stop it now. So it's all good and well to proclaim yourself to be very tolerant, but ironically, you will find that your country is not very tolerant in the end uh, because of your loose rules and the lack of tolerance won't be coming from the Europeans. It'll be coming from the Muslims who have taken over the country and, and now are the prime ministers and now are imposing Sharia law and so on. So eventually the, the people that are native to the country uh, will simply move and they in turn will move to Australia, America, uh, to some degree, Israel, Canada, uh, that's what's going to happen. And uh, you want to abandon your country? Okay, I guess so. It's a little bit of a microcosm 
In fact, it's, it's, I should say that America's exodus is from the, the blue cities and the blue states like California, New York, uh, Illinois, New Jersey. Uh, they're, they're all fleeing to Florida, to Las Vegas, uh, to uh, Tennessee, uh, and, and to other, and Idaho. The, these are decisions that people make with their, their feet because they can't stand it anymore. And, and why wouldn't it happen in Europe? When, when you when you realize that you are afraid to walk outside of the street, because as a woman especially, because you might be raped, or if you're not wearing the hijab like a lot of Muslims expect their women to to wear, uh, that they will somehow look at you with great scorn in your own country, right? It's it's one thing if you go to Saudi Arabia and you're a woman and you don't wear the hijab, okay. You know, you can say, well, that's culturally insensitive, whatever. I, I, I disagree with it, but nevertheless, I can see that, right? I, I, I as a Jew, uh, wear a, um, a yarmulke once in a while, right? I don't wear it on a daily basis or an hourly basis like Ben Shapiro does. But I, I, would, <laughs> I would never imagine that if somebody comes to temple and they don't wear a yarmulke because they're Christian or whatever reason, I'm not going to be offended by that. That's okay for them to, to not wear that. It's, it's okay. Uh, but I, I don't impose everything on, even in, even in a synagogue. Look, I, I think it's respectful. It's a nice thing to do, even if you're Christian. It, it doesn't make you Jewish by wearing a yarmulke. But nevertheless, I, I wouldn't demand it. I wouldn't look at anybody with scorn. Uh, I respect their faith. But it's not the, uh, that's not the way it works when it comes to the Muslim world. I, I remember, uh, I've been to Israel many times. I think probably a total of 20. I was born there. Uh, I was actually born in Ashkelon, which is the... The, the town that was attacked so dramatically on October 7th. Anyway, uh, I remember going to what's called the West Bank. Uh, I call it Judea Samaria. But anyway, I went to Hebron uh, back in the 90s when they were trying to open up uh, peace talks and they basically told the people, don't, don't attack the Israelis, don't attack uh, tourists. So there's, it was somewhat easier to go visit. And I went to a mosque there and I wanted to go in. And the guy tells me, uh, excuse me, are you Muslim? And I said, no, I'm Jewish. And he said, you cannot come in. <laughs> I said, that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I, I'd like to see it. It's, it's a historical place here. And he says to me, how would you like it if I, as a Muslim, come into your synagogue? And I, and I said, that's not a problem. We have many Muslims coming into synagogues uh, peacefully. And likewise, uh, many Jews and, and Muslims and Hindi people coming into churches, for that matter. But somehow, it's not cool. But he made it, it was so clear to him that you don't uh, let people in who are not of that faith into your, into your mosque. And that's the way I think they think about their culture, their faith, their, the way they operate in life. That uh, their way is the only way. And there's not, it's not about acceptance. And we're seeing that play out in Europe time and time again. So my whole point is that we're seeing a, a complete uh, revamping of, uh, of Europe right now. There's a, there's a new turnabout. There's a, a breaking point. And Europe is saying no more uh, to this Islamic influx. And I think they're sensing that it might be getting too late if they don't take action right now. So you get conservative uh, members of parliament. You get conservative prime ministers now. Uh, in uh, England, uh, to a lesser extent in France, not really happening yet in France, but it will happen. It's happening in the UK, it's happening in Germany, it's happening in all these countries that I previously mentioned. There's not one country 
not one, that say, look, we're, we understand that you guys don't want to have uh, continuing unbridled immigration, but we, you know, country X, we love unbridled immigration, very loose immigration laws. It, it's, it's changed. Europe has now changed. And a lot of things are going to happen about this. Uh, they're not going to allow Turkey into the EU. So I guess you can say, we'll wait and see, but I see that there is a big turning point in Europe. This is a, uh, what do you call it, fulcrum moment in history, a turning point where we get to say, okay, look, this is somehow the moment where, where bad things are happening. I think they saw uh, as a result, perhaps, perhaps of the Hamas-Israel protests that uh, they are now uh, really suffering uh, and they are going to have far more crime and and it's not a good road ahead. So people are getting fed up and they're, they're galvanizing together. I think there's a little bit of that in America as well. Uh, and you're seeing this resistance to the Democrat Party, which is not only catering to the pro-Hamas crowd, and I'm not even speaking so much about uh, the Biden administration, but I am speaking about generally the Democrat Party. And they're, of course, opening up the border, allowing this massive influx of people to come in. Very dangerous stuff. Uh, and America now is also getting fed up. And, and that's why you can see it in the polling uh, for Trump. Uh, he's winning by a lot. People are beginning to see that Biden is terrible for the country, 10,000 people a day. Uh, and the standard should be very simple. It's just very simple. If you come here solely for the purpose of taking from the country without contributing to it, uh, and you're a likely candidate to just be uh, a drain on the country that you're uh, coming into, maybe we don't want you. Okay, that, that's a decent standard, right? And it's certainly, uh, it's a, a fair standard to say that if you appear to be somebody who hates America and your Facebook postings or otherwise, uh, TikTok and so on, uh, demonstrate that you hate this country and would seek to overthrow it, perhaps that's another basis to not allow somebody to become an American uh, or European, right? That, that's it. I, I don't see why this is so difficult. Anyway, uh, here is an example of why Sweden doesn't want immigrants anymore, at least that country. And it, I think this is a good analysis. It's a YouTube uh, analysis explained uh, with Dom. That's the, uh, the YouTube channel. Uh, but very succinct and very to the point. Here you go. Today, over 2 million people, or 20% of Sweden's population, have been born outside of Sweden, making Sweden one of the most diverse countries in the world, and one which, in the words of its former prime minister, accepts immigrants and doesn't build walls. Except that's no longer true, and Swedish leaders now sound very different. In 2022, the Swedish Prime Minister from a traditionally pro-immigration Socialist Democratic Party declared that integration of immigrants in Sweden has failed, which led to parallel societies and gang violence, and that the country needs to re-evaluate its beliefs and make some tough decisions. And this major shift is a reflection of how Swedes feel about immigration and how their views have changed in the past few years. According to an annual opinion poll carried out by Gothenburg University, majority of Swedes now want their country to accept fewer refugees. Number of people who feel positive about immigration has dropped by 20% to less than half. And so okay, so you get the idea. It's, it's, uh, these are dramatic switches. And look, the immigration that they're talking about, and they won't say it, of course, on the YouTube channel, it's not uh, immigration from the Czech Republic. It's not immigration from Mexico. It's not immigration from Canada. 
It's, uh, it's immigration from you-know-who, okay? It's from these, these fiercely Muslim countries that want Sharia law, and they are not mingling in very well with the rest of society. It, it, it's not even a question of mingling in with Swedish society. The fact that they want Swedish society to turn on them, to be able to, to turn around them, to, to, they, they make demands, and that's the issue that we've been talking about. So that's just one more example of uh, how at least Sweden sees the issue. And then there's France. Uh, France uh, also has its own issues. I'd like you to hear what they have to say. And this is from Vice News. Uh, very interesting analysis. Here you go. I, I might have to translate a little bit too. A few hours from Nice is Aix-en-Provence, which is the home of the group spokesman, Jérémy Piano. Est-ce que l'islam peut exister en France? Uh, non, Can Islam non, exist? En tout cas, no, en it can't adapt to French society. Because uh, notre, notre rapport our approach to society, to women, to institutions, to secularism is very different than theirs. It's not compatible with Islam. Is it Islam in particular to all foreign religions? No, it's Islam in particular. It's a violent religion, a religion of conquest. And the Muslims want to Islamicize France. France is culturally changing, it's closing its churches, many are being torn down, some, some, none of them are being restored. Meanwhile, more and more mosques are being built, there's no assimilation, there's no living together, it's all a lie. None of the newcomers want to assimilate. So what's la the solution? solution? The solution is easy. Remigration. Remigration means to uh, deport. means sending non-European foreigners back to their countries. Others see France's uncompromising secularism as the problem. In recent weeks, people across the Muslim world have protested against Macron's doubling down on laïcité and on the right to show the cartoons. Asla Macron tried to calm tensions and explain the French position by doing an interview with Al Jazeera a couple days after. So this is all about uh, the right of French people to show the cartoons that they want to show to mock uh, Muhammad or whatever. They should be able to do so. And so all of a sudden, the, the French have to explain why they have the right to freedom of expression. Right. So. Uh, the French are getting sick and tired of this, and that's uh, that's a concept. So when the French are doing this, then you know that uh, the world has gotten fed up. Okay, so I, I think we've discussed this, but what, what you're seeing is this uh, unification among European nations, at least, that understand that this immigration has turned out to be quite a bad idea, uh, that there are limits to these open borders, uh, and, and it's really shocking that they have just never learned from history. This is an example of understanding that the history of Islamic conquest is not a good one. It's, it's, uh, they've never tried to live in peace, uh, as, at least as a nation. They have gone to Europe um, in, the, in the centuries of old, uh, desiring to completely wipe out Europe and completely Islamicize Europe. That was their mission. And I don't think it's that much different now. They, they, you hear it directly from what you're seeing in, in Hamas, uh, what you're seeing and Europe, generally speaking, their goal is to take over. So the French, the Swedish, the Danish, the Dutch, the Germans, all these people are saying, no, thank you. We are tired. We may have made a mistake. All right. 
Um, let's turn our attention now to Biden. Uh, very interesting stuff going on with him. He is getting more and more uh, challenged when it comes to his potential as a uh, as a campaign uh, in in twenty twenty four, and I think he's beginning to see it. But at the same time, he's showing that he really just don't doesn't understand uh, what's going on around him. Uh, he even makes strange comments. Uh, for example, this one where he was in Virginia uh, and he, uh, he he was on a campaign stop and he calls out for uh, acknowledging that Terry McAuliffe uh, is the real governor of Virginia, right? So if you don't believe me, here he is. Hello, Virginia. And the real governor, Terry McAuliffe. My name's Joe Biden. I'm Jill Biden's husband and Kamala's running mate. Okay, so it's a little odd, right, I mean, to, to hear such a thing. Uh, and there's a couple of people were whooping it up. I mean, if he wanted a big laugh out of that, then he certainly didn't achieve it. Uh, to the extent that he believes it, that's also very concerning. Uh, and then, of course, all these, the Democrats who claim that the election, that the talk of the election being rigged in 2020 is the big lie, but he has no problem saying, saying exactly the same thing. This is the same thing with Stacey Abrams, by the way, in, in Georgia. They, they proclaimed that, that her race was robbed. Hillary Clinton said that her race was robbed in 2016. Uh, so they get to say that elections were rigged when it comes to them, but when it comes to, uh, to, Joe, to, uh, to, to Donald Trump and his, his team, well, they're, they're just conspiracists. They, they're crazy. Well, I don't need to tell this to you. But then, then in addition, he's got these crazy things happening now where he doesn't know what stage he needs to be at. He, doesn't, he has this very strange uh, walk to him. He has this uh, strange way of uh, talking. Sometimes he's completely malfunctions. Uh, look, look at some of the things that he says also here. Folks, uh, uh, here you go. Uh, I, uh, if I were smart, I'd say thank you and leave. Okay. So that's a little bizarre, right? That's just one example. Um, and then he has many others just like that, where he will just wander off. Um, I, I could play some clips for you where the, he, everything he say, says is completely unintelligible. Just, you have no idea what he's trying to say. And people are still laughing in the audience as if he's being very articulate. I think that they're planted there so that it looks like Joe Biden is saying something coherently and that the people laughing clearly are understanding what he's saying. So why don't you, right? That's, I think that's the concept that they're trying to convey here. All right. Very uh, strange stuff. Look, um, a couple of other interesting stories to talk about, but I, before I do that, I want to clarify. Uh, going back to the three uh, servicemen who were killed, uh, I believe in Jordan um, just recently, uh, it was not necessarily the Houthis. I think I said the Houthis. Um, I, I meant uh, Iranian back to militia. I'm not quite exactly sure how it happened, but I know it was in Jordan, in our bases in Jordan. And now the question is, and the big story of the day is, will Biden react and how will he react? Will it be pro proportional? Uh, what kind of message is he going to send? This goes back to the beginning of our discussion earlier. I don't think he's going to be able to do anything substantial. If, if you think that he's going to engage in some sort of massive response to, quote unquote, send a message to the Iranians, uh, we've, we've all got another thing coming on that. The reason why the Iranian-backed militia group 
uh, pursued these attacks, and this is what, the 115th 6th or something attack upon American interests or the coalition interests. Uh, the reason why they are doing this is to provoke. Uh, they want to engage uh, America into a conflict with Iran. They know that he'll only go so far. It won't be a full-on war. Uh, so that, that they're very confident about, right? I mean, you, you may think that uh, the Iranians are interested in not hurting themselves and such, but, that, but, but, but it's clear that, that that's not the way these dictatorships uh, think, right? Hamas knew that Israel would respond. So obviously, uh, they didn't have self-preservation in mind when they attacked on October 7th. Did they really think that that Israel would just say, "Wow, that that really sucks"? We we sure were surprised. Uh, I guess we'll just have to look inward to ourselves, and it's very demoralizing. Is that what they thought? Of course not. They they knew that Israel would attack. They they were perfectly willing to sacrifice their own citizens. I think the same thing is true with the mullahs in Iran. Uh, they they'll never be in a position where they say, "Gosh, I I guess uh, we shouldn't have uh, attacked the Americans. That 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 was such a silly thi- silly move in in hindsight." These are words that will not come out of the Iranian mullahs' mouths. Uh, certainly, they may think it, but they, they certainly won't say it to each other. So what was the point of their attacking in the first place? Uh, the, the point probably was that they didn't want uh, any further discussion of, of peace accords or anything else like that with, uh, with America and, uh, and with Israel for that matter. And by doing these attacks and engaging America in a provocation, perhaps this would slow down any sort of peace talks that there might have been with these other Arab nations. Uh, that, that's very much a possibility. And I think uh, probably the most realistic thing. Look, you have to always look at timing of things. Uh, there was going to be all sorts of uh, diplomatic talks uh, with these different countries, and now they attack in the way they have. I don't know. that That's the argument that people make. I, I don't think that's actually accurate because they've been bombing uh, our interests ever since October 7. So the fact that something happened today um, and it seems to coincide with something, well, then it's not necessarily accurate. It, it just happens to be that they killed three servicemen today. It's not as if they went out and said, let's kill three servicemen today. Uh, they just happened to get some servicemen. So it, it's really more a function of drawing the Americans in and hoping that they get bogged down they, they know that Biden will not do very much. He needs to do a lot more. He needs to have a tremendous shock and awe. He needs to go full Dresden on Iran, I believe, uh, and, get com- and completely destroy them. That's, it's as simple as that. If, if you did that, then there wouldn't be an Iran to worry about. You would get them begging uh, for, you know, suing for peace. But that's not going to happen. Uh, we, we, just, we know that can't happen with, with uh, Biden. Uh, when uh, Trump, and I say when, Trump becomes president again, uh, th- there'll be a completely different shift in the way that our enemies look at us and the way we look at our enemies. Uh, there will not be this sort of conflagration from Iran, from China, from Russia, for that matter. All these things that have happened, uh, Afghanistan, Ukraine, the uh, disaster at the border, and of course the Hamas attack on October 7. None of these things would have happened were Trump president uh, during this administration, during this time. Uh, of course, that's not, not the situation, sadly, and uh, here we are. Okay, to say nothing about inflation, uh, the high interest rates, uh, and all the mad, other madness that's going on in the world right now. We just have to learn. 
uh, and I guess the world doesn't want to learn. Uh, it just it has this repeat cycle that uh, they, they don't know how to get around. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. My, my son uh, was saying that the Americans, the way that they're going to respond to the Iranians and this attack, they're going to respond by insisting that we give them billions of dollars, yes, and that they should be able to take more hostages from us. Yes, you know, like, and, and we'll do it very begrudgingly. And, and here's a whole lot of gold as well. Yes, <laughs> and you will take it. And here's another big check, but don't expect uh, the handwriting on the check to be very good. Don't, don't think that for a moment, sir. That, that's, that's the way we, we react to these people, that, that, that we think that somehow they respond to money, for one thing, uh, in, a, in a loving way, that somehow this is the issue, money, or that they respect diplomacy. They don't respect diplomacy. They respect power. And it's, it's been proven time and time again. And, and they, they still throw money at the problem. They make all sorts of other promises. Uh, they, they agree not to uh, support Israel as much. And they think that's going to work. And, and, and of course, the Iranians in particular are just laughing at us the entire time. The only thing that works is power. With these guys, that's it. Diplomacy never works. All right, on a related matter, you may have heard uh, that South Africa initiated a complaint against Israel with the International Court of Justice, uh, basically saying, okay, well, this is an apartheid country and it is engaging in a genocide and demanding, demanding that Israel stop uh, this war. And after a few weeks of consideration, the uh, IJC, uh, ICJ rather, uh, decided that, uh, no, they're not going to require Israel to stop its war, not that it has any power to do so, but that uh, Israel should be mindful about not engaging in any genocidal acts, right? <laughs> so, uh, in other words, they, they discovered that there was nothing inappropriate about the, the war. There, there was no genocide about it. Uh, but, but in order to placate uh, the anti-Israel crowd, which is a very large crowd, they said, well, don't do anything genocidal. Be very mindful about that, Israel. Uh, isn't that like, Devin, isn't that like some uh, man who was accused of serial murders, right? It's determined that he hasn't done any of the murders. Didn't, didn't happen. In fact, there, there weren't any murders at all. They were just uh, su suspecting that there were and there weren't any. And uh, they have to acquit him. And then as he walks out the door, they, they say, and don't do any murders, sir, <laughs> right? Like, but... It didn't do anything wrong. That's the whole point. And, and he doesn't need to be admonished to not do the thing that he was already acquitted of, of doing. So uh, same thing with Israel here. But that's the way the world turns. It, it's very anti-Israel. The, the only country that gets um, uh, reprimanded uh, as much as Israel is Israel. That's it. There's no other country. Uh, far beyond, it's like 27, what is it? 27 times the amount of uh, reprimands, I forget what they call it, uh, the UN, um, but 27 times the amount that uh, North Korea, you combine all of it, North Korea, Sudan, Somalia, uh, Iran for that matter, they're unable to reprimand those countries. But Israel, no problem, right? Because they're, they're easy to reprimand, easy. They, they won't make noise. They will send people there saying this is wrong, uh, we, you know, you shouldn't do this. But they don't have to worry about uh, somehow uh, this resulting in some sort of terrorism from, from Israel. But that's the way they talk over there. Okay. All right, there's, there's more news. And one of them is that Donald Trump has uh, slaughtered in both the New Hampshire 
primary and, of course, previously in the Iowa caucuses. And it doesn't look good for Nikki Haley. Uh, she's the sole survivor uh, of the non-Trump crowd. One has to wonder why, uh, you know, what she's thinking, how she can possibly believe that she can pull out a win. Uh, and, and no investor in uh, Nikki Haley, no serious conservative Republican investor in the Nikki Haley campaign can think that she's going to win at this point. It is truly lost money if they invest in her. So why is she going forward? Why? I mean, I don't think it's because she's got this maniacal effort to, to, uh, uh, to defeat Trump and, and, and work for the Democrats. That, that somebody's, some people have been saying that. I, I disagree with that. I think that she really believes that she has a chance, that somehow the tide will turn and she will be the nominee at the end of the day. She'll get some sort of momentum. It's only a question of time. Uh, I, I, I think she believes that. I think also, however, you know, I'm more interested in the investors. Why, why, why would they invest in her? The reason why is that the investor, investors in her are not Republicans. They're not conservatives. They are necessarily, they are Democrats or they are Democrat sympathizers. So what they do is they pour money into the Nikki Haley campaign, hoping to keep uh, you know, animosity between Haley and Trump, which would only inure to the benefit of the Democrats. Um, so in other words, it, it drains Trump more than anything else. It's a, it's a tactic. I don't think it's illegal, by the way, uh, but it's a tactic. It's, it, these people are willing to spend a lot of money uh, knowing that it's going to go to waste, but the ultimate purpose is not to allow Nikki Haley to win. They, they know she can't win. The idea is just to draw out the battle and the conflict so that that Trump will just have that much more difficulty. They don't want him to sail into the nomination uh, for the Republicans right away, or at least not this early, uh, because first of all, it'll be very embarrassing. And secondly, because Trump will turn his guns toward Biden and, and make his attacks toward Biden, and, and they know that Biden is very weak. So the less time he spends in the general campaign, the better, uh, according to them. Th that's a simple answer for that. I, I think it's very clear. All right, folks, listen, uh, it's been great. I, I'm so, you know, let's send some prayers to the families of the servicemen who died. Uh, and, and let's see what happens with Joe Biden. Look, anything is possible with him. May he respond meaningfully. He will not, unfortunately. I, I, if I were a betting man, I am not. I would definitely say that uh, Biden is not going to do very much at all. He may bomb a couple of depots, uh, maybe a couple of small uh, military bases uh, that, that are affiliated with Iran, and that's about it. But they will not be getting the message that he hopes to, to give them. Look, I mean, th this, is, <clears throat> this is an administration that thinks that, uh, you know, the, the best, you know, don't, what was that expression he said? Uh, to all those who think that they can exploit this situation, don't, right? Uh, meaning the Hamas situation. Uh, likewise, he said the same thing about uh, uh, the, the, the illegal immigrants coming across the border don't come, you know, as if somehow that's, that's going to be enough. You know, he, he opens up the border completely, uh, enables people to, to come uh, through uh, Texas and otherwise, fights to have the federal authorities cut barbed wire. Uh, and then he says, don't, <laughs> like, as if that will be, that will do the trick. I mean, it's what you would call mixed, mixed signals. You know, if I were an illegal immigrant, uh, I, would, I would definitely be confused 
like, wait a minute. On the one hand, you say don't. And on the other hand, you seem to be waving us in. So I, I don't know. <laughs> you, you tell me, Mr. President. Uh, look, uh, and it's very strange. This whole Texas thing, this one, de- one decision from the court, uh, the Supreme Court, which is disappointing. Um, Amy Coney Barrett was, was a real disappointment on this one, at least. Um, John Roberts, I'm, I'm not too surprised. He's more interested in making sure that he doesn't, that, that he's always liked um, among, the, um, among the Democrats. So they agreed to let the federal agents uh, cut the barbed wire that the Texan authorities had put up to protect against this onslaught of illegal immigrants. So immigration rather. And, uh, and then they took it up. And, and so the, the court said, no, that the federal go- the government can now go in and cut the barbed wire. So this is my, my anger about this situation. It was bad enough that the Biden administration has been doing nothing, has been laying low um, and being very passive about the immigration and basically not enforcing the border. Okay, that's bad enough. It's really bad. But, but now they're, they're crossing over into the territory where they're actually helping the illegal immigration. They're, they're actively destroying the security of our country. They are taking active steps to help illegal immigration come through. Had they done nothing, had they simply said, look, you know, we're, we're lazy, we're financially strapped or whatever, and then the barbed wire would be the barbed wire. It probably wouldn't stop too many illegal immigrants, but it would probably stop some. It wouldn't stop all of it, of course. But even that, they couldn't abide, right? The, the Biden administration could not abide. Even that. And for that, Joe Biden is a traitor. For that, he is falling on the most important aspect of his job, which is security of the United States borders. That's it. And he can't even do that. And for that, he must be turned out in November of 2024. Just for that alone. As, as if uh, the taking of bribes from the Chinese government and, and all the other corruptions that we know exist within his, within his administration, and the, all, all the incompetence of his uh, presidency, uh, his failure to actually deal with uh, not only the immigration, but deal with the crisis uh, in Ukraine with Hamas and everything else. Uh, all those are good enough reasons to reject him, to say nothing of the high interest rates and the inflations and stuff like that. But this, this one act of actually sicking the federal authorities against the Texan authorities, that alone is cause enough to turn him away from the presidency to reject him at the ballot box in November. All right, folks, Brock Lurie signing off, saying God bless. And we'll talk with you next week.